electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, tantalizing tech, the NASDAQ eyeing a new closing high today. We are going to ask the investment committee how to best play the mega cap mania as the group takes another leg higher. Joining me, for the hour, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Jenny Harrington, Kevin Simpson. Everybody's here post nine. It's good to have you back with us in person, Mr. Weiss. And you're where I want to start because a lot of the mega caps are down today. NVIDIA is not. So you get another record high. You're above two trillion in market cap. You're coming off the best day since May of 2023. Ordinarily, you'd have folks say, you know what? I, 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 it kills me, but I'm going to just sit here and wait for a dip and, and buy this thing. You're like, you know what? I don't care that it's up this much. I'm buying it anyway, which you did. You bought NVIDIA. I did. I did. So, uh, look, it's been, as I mentioned the other day, an annoyance not owning it, right? particularly with everybody talking about it and everybody owning it and making FOMO. money. But for me, yeah. <laughs> FOMO. But when the earnings hit, I actually tried to buy it in the aftermarket. Stock trade down 28 bucks, which sounds like a lot, but it's not on this price stock. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, you know, as I went, quickly went through the release in expectation of the conference call and know everything's going on data centers because we're very involved in data centers, I just said, you know what, I'm going to take dives. So it's not a big position. It's about a third the size of Meta, for example, which I continue to hold and haven't sold any. Uh, but they do have the momentum in AI and the race for AI truly is you know, it's going to be all we're going to be doing. Forget about talking about for the next number of years. I mean, you, feel like, you feel like they are undoubtedly secretariat at, at, at this point. I do for now. You've got a lot of horses that can still, right. you know, place and show and get in the money, but they look to be the secretariat right. at this moment. So I think the momentum's there for now. I think Intel wants to come into it. Intel signed some, you know, a, a capacity deal with ASML mm-hmm. for the next generation of chips. So Intel will be producing for, uh, you know, for the hyperscalers, for AWS, for Meta, etc. So I do have those concerns, but those concerns are out six months or so. In the next six months, sure, there'll be dips on it, but I think it'll continue to work. Momentum will be there. But I don't want to take a full position at this level. I, I hear you. Um, so many incredible stats, folks, about in, in video. I'm, I'll read you a few. The market cap gain yesterday was larger than the market caps, Joe, of 94% of the S&P 500. That was the market cap gain just yesterday. Here's from Tony Pescarello. I always cite his stuff. I like to let you guys oh, into the notes that are being passed around by, by one of the best. Here's the incredible part, he says. When the market bottomed in October of 2022, NVIDIA had a market cap of $280 billion and a 12-month forward P.E. of 32 times, okay? Yesterday, 
it added $276 billion of market cap in one day alone, rounding up to $2 trillion, and the P.E. is now 33 times. That is unbelievable. He uses the word incredible, and he is darn right. Yeah, and I really think this is all about NVIDIA, the rally that we have had since the October of 2022 low. I think for the viewers, if you're going to put one thing on your screen, obviously it's NVIDIA, but going beyond NVIDIA, it's the SMH. And if you think about performance from January 1st... Which I bought also, by the way. From January 1st of 2022 through today... Think about performance for a second. Why do I say January 1st of 2022? Because it encompasses all of the Federal Reserve's moves. Think about what the performance has been. The S&P is up 6% since then. You've got NVIDIA up 159%. You have the SMH up 31%. You have the what I call the meta recovery up 43%. And then you have underperformance from the rest of the MAG7. Apple, Alphabet, both unchanged. Amazon only up 2%. Tesla down 51%, Microsoft up 21%. So really to me, this is about the MAG2, the MAG2 being NVIDIA and Meta on that price recovery, plus the SMH story, which is obviously attributable to this AI, uh, generative AI thesis. So Jenny Bespoke sends along, the last time the NASDAQ 100 made a new all-time high on a day it gained three plus percent was March of 2000. Gulp. I mean, the run in, in some of these stocks has just been so incredible. It, it's it's inevitably going to get people thinking about, oh, is this 99? Dan yeah. Ives says, no, it's not. It's 95. People make the argument it's not 1999. It is 1995. You know, I think it's 1995 for a small group. And I think for the broader group, it might be 1999. And when we talk about these incredible moves and the NASDAQ making this new high, well, ultimately the NASDAQ's flat over the past three years. So like cherry pick your time period. You know, if I look at it with a little bit of a broader, longer perspective, it's up like a percent or two in three years. And then when we think about NVIDIA and how amazing it is and how it's taking up all of our energy and all of our focus right now. And I was tweeting the other day, I'm like, okay, okay, I admit, you know, NVIDIA is the king, like it wins. Even I'm crumbling on admitting it, it still doesn't fit my strategies. But I also like to ground myself and look back and say, okay, in um, 10 years ago, Tesla was trading at like $10 a share. Now it's 200, but it's been flat to down over the past three years. Let's go back and think about Microsoft. Microsoft in 1991 was about $2 a share. In 1999, it was $50 a share. So those are similar run-ups to what Tesla have, has had. And sorry, those are similar run-ups to what Nvidia's had. And then they plateau. And you know, I know I've been wrong, 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 wrong on Nvidia. So who's to listen to me on Nvidia? But I think if we take kind of a market history perspective on it. The, these kind of leadership moves usually aren't sustained at the at the level of price performance that this so has there, been at. There were, and it doesn't, and, and it doesn't have to maintain no. the level of price performance. It doesn't. In fact, the chances that it will are slim to none. Right. It's not going to maintain the level of revenue growth. Right. Year over year, it, that's almost impossible. It's still fabulous. And it doesn't have to. So let's keep it into perspective as well. Uh, but that means it can be a big winner for an awfully long time. As you know, Adam Parker makes the point yesterday, we're not near the, the top of this first initial phase of this revolution on AI. We're still at the beginning. We're still at the beginning. You agree with that? Yeah, Adam's right. And, you know, certainly this week, NVIDIA is the zeitgeist of the moment. But if we look back to 95 and 99, I remember both of those trading years like it was yesterday. We were, we were looking at companies that had this thing, the infinity sign. 
because mm -hmm. we couldn't create P.E. ratios because there was no E, there were no earnings. So when we look at these stocks today, we're not trading them in anticipation of their earnings growth. They're supporting it with earnings growth and the stock price is kind of trailing that way. Certainly nothing lasts forever. They're not going to have profit margins like this. To Jenny's point, I can't own NVIDIA because it's not within my style box of a dividend strategy. But boy, I pay attention to it. And I pay attention to it for a lot of reasons. Most importantly is that we're looking at earnings for the S&P 500. And if we want to get to $245 this year, the big seven or magnificent seven from last year have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. They need to bring $75 to the table. And the great thing about NVIDIA's earnings is they're saying, look, in 2024, we've got you covered for at least 20 bucks. I mean, the, the, the AI halo, uh, it's obviously beyond just NVIDIA, and I'm going to come back to you in, in a second. It's, you know, since November 1st, ARM, AMD, Snowflake, ASML, I, I know I read these every day, but it's relevant still every day. Palantir 55, Broadcom 54, those are the percentage gains since November 1st. You, you do have Broadcom, but you trimmed it. You're just sitting on a huge gain since you've been in it. And that just speaks broadly to how maybe we should view all of these stocks here. Never hurts taking a profit, Scott. And I love the date November 1st, too. I think it's really important because right after the October meeting, when the Fed basically said, no mas, we're done with rate hikes, that's when things got normal again. I realize there's a few AI names that are uh, still carrying this thing, but there was just breath to that market. And as we go through each of our picks from November 1st, we're going to see that it's not just two names, but lots and lots of other companies outside of AI that have moved. And I think that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. What hurts, though, and I mean, your point's well taken, and who's going to argue with taking profits? What hurts, though, is taking profits or, you know, dare I say, God forbid, selling one of these names, and then you get a blowout earnings report, yep. and it gets so far away from you. You know, I'm thinking with what obviously, you know, someone's done with Meta, and then they report earnings, and it's just off to the races. You're like, oh, my God, I love the fact that I took profits, and I had a lot of gains in this stock. But then when you see it go like four stations down the road, you're like, man, why did I do that? Well, you know, if, if you've been running money for a long time, uh, Hopefully you've had a lot of those. You've sold winners and see them going up. You always need somebody to sell to. But it also goes to portfolio management, is that you have to be conscious of the risk that you're taking. And you've got styles and you have to abide by your styles because if you stray from your style, your investors leave you. I know that when we allocated to hedge funds, that's what we did. You know, what do you mean you're a growth player? What do you mean you own still water mining? I'm out. You know, no, don't tell me. But I'll tell you here, the danger is, so I don't have those kind of, kind of style restrictions. My restrictions is absolute performance, make money. So I'm, I can let Meta run. And I'm looking at Meta, I like permanent compounders. So if they run and get mm -hmm. ahead of themselves, sure, I expect them to fall back to earth. But at the same time, I don't want to sell them because as I look out a year, two years, I'll be regretting that I did. So we, we get through another gauntlet, if you will, this week. You know, Palo Alto kind of made us reassess the gains in some of these stocks, Joe, and what might happen next. And like, oh man, if Nvidia lays an egg, then who knows what's going to happen to the overall rally. Well, obviously that didn't happen. So you make it through the gauntlet of, of NVIDIA to where Tony at Goldman, again, sort of assesses where we are and what the best strategies are going forward. So he says, the big dynamics in the game remain inherently friendly for risk. With that said, the profile of tactical risk reward has changed. Here's what I mean. Sentiment measures are elevated. The trading community is quite long. 
the momentum factor is very stretched and valuations tricky, right? I think we'd all agree with that, right? Yes. Then he says, therefore, it would not surprise me if the market is due for some period of consolidation. In turn, I have no problem with the idea of simplifying your portfolio, reducing gross exposure to the best parts. He's speaking directly to the mega caps, right? Talks about using options to manage details, but then admits, look, if this sounds too clever, given the convexity of the market and what's just happened, you're probably right. All right, so I would not take up my eye off the ball on two great horses, the NDX being one of them. He's talking about the Nikkei too, in what Japan has done in setting these new records. But it's like, okay, I get it, you know? Maybe you want to lighten up a bit, but at the same time, don't take your eye, and he uses the two great horses, and I'm thinking again, it's, 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 it's the secretariats, it's all these triple crown winners. If, uh, and, and as always, a very thoughtful note from, from Tony, and, and, and I share his perspective. In fact, I thought, and I was obviously wrong on that assessment, I believe that February would be a month where you'd see corrective price action in the market. You're, you're just not seeing it. I think for the for viewers, well, for, for, for a minute and a half. Yeah, that, does, that, that doesn't confirm <laughs> my Nvidia slammed the door on that. Right, exactly. And I think, and I think that's what the viewers viewers have to understand. I, I feel good about, I don't want to call it a broadening out because we're not seeing small caps really work, no. but th- there are other names that are working right now, in particular in the large cap space. So it's, it's really some participation beyond just the semis, but I, Scott, I can't, I can't think that if NVIDIA were to correct, if the SMH were to correct, that the market itself would be immune from experiencing a universal correction. But you, you I just think it's about, I think it's all about <laughs> these semis right You now. made the argument to me yesterday, which I found uh, admittedly confusing, um, on Closing Bell, that you wouldn't advise our viewers to be market weight the mega cap stocks. Those are, what, 25-ish percent? of the S&P That's correct. that you would advise them to be underweight. That seems counter to every argument that you've made about where the market is and where you think it's going. So if so, you can enlighten us, because you left me completely perplexed well, with, with that description, to be quite yeah, frank. So w- what, what I said to you yesterday was that you could have an equal weighted strategy and outperform. And there's evidence to that. You could, you could see so far year to date but now you're t- what okay. the strategy is Without doing. talking your own book for a minute, okay? okay? It's fair that you're, you're, you're doing well in your strategy, okay? okay? Without talking your own book, mm-hmm. with all due respect. Right. I want you, to, again, you've made the case that the mega caps are going to outperform. You did not see the broadening in the market necessarily happening. Correct. But then you're advising our viewers, well, don't even be market weight the mega caps because there's concentration risk within the concentration itself i gave statistics to start the show since january of 2022 where is the performance come from it's come from meta recovering from 88 dollars in november of 2022 to 485 today and it's come from nvidia and the semis it has not it has not come from apple it has not come from alphabet It has not come from Amazon. 
It has not come from Tesla. So when someone says you must own the mega caps at market cap weight, where we are today, or more, okay, or more, <clears throat> understand one thing. The mega, tap, the mega caps in totality haven't done the heavy lifting for you. You use the Chiefs analogy. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl yesterday. You know why the Chiefs won the Super Bowl? Patrick Mahomes was the reason that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in overtime. NVIDIA is the Patrick Mahomes. If you take Patrick Mahomes off the field, the Chiefs aren't winning the Super Bowl. I, I don't agree with that. NVIDIA, let me finish. Sure. NVIDIA is the entire story of where the performance has been. And that's why I say you have concentration risk well, within the concentration would itself. Say it's been the story of the dramatic outperformance. It is not the whole story of the, the performance. In the if mega you look cap at the S&P's outperformance last year, last year, okay, yeah. we're still only in February. If you look at the S&P's outperformance last year, it was because of all of the mega caps. It was because you're, of all the mega you're caps. You're picking a period of time what about 2022, Scott? All the mega caps were down. What about we 2022? Bad, we, had, we have a bad 2022. All right, but we're picking a period of time. We're saying 2023 works for your narrative. Let's pull the what lens back. What do you mean? It's, I'm speaking the narrative of the mar that the market's given me. The mega caps had an awful 2022. Okay. What did the S&P do in 2022? Had an awful year. Correct. The mega caps had a great 2023. What did the S&P do in okay, 2023? So marry those two it years had a together. great year. Marry those two years together. Since November 1st, okay, Microsoft's only up 21%. Is that so terrible? Since November 1st, it's underperformed Nvidia, it's underperformed some of the SM8 stocks. So what? What has Apple done since? So what? So the S&P's up 20%. Since November 1st, what's Apple done since November 1st? Up 5%. Okay. What's, what's Alphabet done? You can done? pick Apple, a, Apple out of a hat no, and you say, can't, okay, you it's just, the one. You can't uh, cherry one, pick uh, it. One that You've hasn't got, really worked that since well. Since November 1st, you have four of the mega caps that are underperforming the S&P 500. And I just don't want to look at it from November 1st. I want to look at it from January 1st of 2022. I want to encompass the entirety of the Federal Reserve rate hiking cycle. And if you do that, the S&P is up 6%. And four of the names have underperformed the S&P. So really, all you have is extreme outperformance from NVIDIA and extreme outperformance from Meta catching up because it fell to $88 in November of 2022. Which gets us back to my initial point. Like, choose your time period that, you know, you can. And, and last week when we were on, you were saying, like, oh, look at the chart for 10 years on something. This isn't and, a cherry pick time period. No, but I'm just saying, like, you can you can pick whatever, whatever time frame you want to fit your narrative. But I think the right way to look at it is step back and look at three years. You know, look at five years because that's what a real can't look invest at that. no, because you know what you can. You can't do because that. Because that's what a real can't do that with I'll AI you stocks. You, can. you cannot. I'll tell you why you, you cannot. Can. Because that's what a real investor time cannot. frame is. Because when an institution hires a new manager, that's the only way you can judge. Client, that's the only way you can justify not be being in them. The only way you can justify manager, not being in the names and missing it is by saying, well, if you go back five years. Because here's the thing: when you're hired, right? Most clients give you three years. Over that three-year period, they're measuring you to your benchmark. Over that three-year period, and this gets back to what I was saying, like NASDAQ's kind of flat, S&P's up a little bit, um, small cap Russell 2000 is down a little bit. We take a step back, and they're all kind of in line. But what I think is more interesting when you take that step back is how different the FANG, the top 10, 
actually is versus when we were talking about it a few years ago. We're, Amazon's flat over three years. Google's flat over three years. Tesla's down over three years. So there's a lot that's changed. You have a couple, you have a couple that have led, but the managers who've done really well, and I was just last week reviewing a large cap growth manager for one of the investment committees I'm on, they were up 44% last year. And when you look at the holdings of their portfolio, they were very, they weren't market weight to all the mega The makeup the, the of mega this caps. market changed dramatically, arguably for an immeasurable amount of time going forward, the day of the Microsoft announcement with OpenAI. That was a move the goalpost moment mm -hmm. for the kinds of stocks that you had to be in. Some didn't see it then, okay. and, and they were still willing to get in later because the stocks still continue to perform to this day. Some obviously more than others. That was a game-changing moment, period. End of story. And let's say it was a game-changing moment from then until now. And then if you take today as your starting point, I think it's an interesting question to ask. Who are the leaders who are benefited by AI for the next three years, for the next 10 years? And I think that's where we can get back to that interesting refrigeration analogy, which is it wasn't the companies that created refrigeration that benefited the most. You know, it was the Cokes, it was the Pepsis, it was the General Mills, it was all the food companies. And so I think, I think that's where we are maybe now going forward. NVIDIA's had an incredible run-up. Microsoft's had an incredible run-up. But when we think about other stocks that are in our portfolio, like Marriott, for example, when you think about the benefits of AI to a company like Marriott, they're going to be enormously benefited by it, the efficiency that will come. Look, so I think starting today, like broaden your lens on who benefits from AI. Look, we, we can have these philosophical discussions. What fun. And, and, you know, go back and forth. What's the time frame? What's not? No, it's, but, it's, a, oh, it's, a, it's a factual. No, it is. It, that, was, that was when the bell rang and we took off. But the point is that there are lots of stocks. We focus, we tend to focus here on the big name brands, but there are lots of under the surface, to your point, to your point, that perform as well. The overriding consideration I have, though, is that AI is generational, like the steam engine, like 5G, like so many other periods we've seen. If you listen to Jensen Wong, he makes you believe exactly. that it's the dawn of a new industrial revolution. It is, it is. So it's the fifth, I think it's the fifth industrial revolution, unless you count um, uh, 5G. But keep this in mind, right now, we don't even have a lot of the use cases defined for AI. If you talk to average companies, they'll say, I don't know, I think I should be looking at it, but I don't know what I'll do with it. That's going to take to a whole nother level. So I think the winners today are still going to be the winners, if nothing else, because of Microsoft and AWS's cloud business. You've got to put more there. So, so I'm happy to stay with those and look for others, like, like uh, Vertif. I mean, that will be a winner, right? Because of data centers. Hang on, hang on, I'm going to take a break. Uh, I'm going to bounce. We all need to pull uh, down. I have a lot of moves that I want to get to as well. Uh, Kevin Simpson's making some. Weiss has some as well. Trimming some big winners. Uh, we'll do it next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, let's do some more of these moves here um, because it's interesting. So, Kevin, you trimmed deer, sold to Weiss, who bought deer again. Tell me why you trimmed it. Well, I think we Before both, Weiss tells me why he bought it again. I think we both win on this trade because I think it's down about $10 from where I sold it. And he's coming in and buying it. We only took a little bit off the table. I thought the earnings were a lot less impressive than we had expected. Caterpillar had knocked it out of the park. Deer just came in a little bit short. We still have a 2% position. It's the first time we've had deer and cat at the same time, but cat is crushing it. I mean, it's up 11% over the past three months. Deer's down 7%. Good to buy low, so I'm not criticizing it. I'm still an owner, but for us, it just disappointed. I'd rather be a little bit heavier in cat, a little bit lighter in deer. Okay. So Weiss, what is it, what's the fascination for you with deer? Why, why in, why out? And then you buy, buy it again. When you've been doing this for a while, and I'm sure they would all agree, there are certain stocks that you sort of have a really good feel for. So I have a good feel for deer. I don't make money in it every time, but way more often do I make money than don't. So for me, it's a trading stock. It, sure, it's cheap. It got cheaper. Uh, actually, didn't get cheap because the earnings came down, even though stock prices exactly. came down. So it's no less expensive. But the trading band used to be 370 to about 410, and I played that. Now I think the trading band's got, you know, moved on the down end. And I think that because of that, um, and by the way, you had a phenomenal call on cat. I remember when you bought it, and that just exploded and Thanks, pissed this. me off because I didn't take buy it. <laughs> but in any event. Um, You've had, you've had this. You've had people just say, you know, I've had enough. Stock cereal is a performer. It's not getting it. Inflation is down. Food inflation down. Farmers' rates are up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought there was maximum negativity in there mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. trade it. So I'll be there for a little bit. I still think it could move up in this kind of market, and then I'll, uh, then I, I'll sell I know it and Josh, wait to get back down. Josh mentioned yesterday Warren Buffett and Amazon. To me, Deer is really a Warren Buffett stock. And if you continue to see deer cheapen up like that, to me, that's the type of stock you see Berkshire come in and buy. So let's look at J.P. Morgan, too, uh, Kev, because you you trimmed half the position was called away. Okay, I mean, this stock has been at a high. And by the way, we're super excited. Jamie Dimon's going to be on this program on Monday. It's an exclusive chairman and CEO, of course, of J.P. Morgan. So we'll get that promo out loud and proud, and I can't wait for that, but why? Tell me about the, the stock here. Yeah, happy to get my stock called away so you can work that promo in. <laughs> yeah. we, um, <laughs> we, we covered calls on half of our Cisco position, half of our J.P. Morgan position. I did not want J.P. Morgan to get called. I did want Cisco to get called. When you write options, sometimes this happens. We had both positions that, that had been covered called away. I will look for any weakness to get back into J.P. Morgan. At 12 times forward earnings, I think it's the best of the breed. It's a stock that I feel has benefited from the financial crisis in the regional space. 
This is a company that has increased their dividend by 10% a year for the past five years. They have very little debt, if any. And if you're going to be in uh, financials, I think you want to own best of breed. All right, good stuff. Let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hey, Pippa. House is discussing possible legal and policy options to respond to an Alabama court decision that ruled frozen embryos were considered children under state law, putting IVF access at risk. Administration officials tell NBC News the Justice Department and the Department of Health and Human Services are still early and no decisions have been made, but did warn about the use of executive action to protect IVF access. Federal regulators have granted Native American tribes more power to block hydropower projects on their land, reversing a decision that gives developers approval despite tribal objections. The new policy will give tribes veto power that would force companies to cooperate with them in order to receive exclusive federal grants. And German parliament passed a law legalizing cannabis today, becoming the ninth country to do so. The law will allow individuals and voluntary associations to grow and hold a small amount of the drug, while large-scale but non-commercial cannabis production is allowed only for members of cannabis clubs of no more than 500 adults. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. Pippa Stevens, up next, big opportunities beyond AI. Yeah, there actually are some because a bunch of committee names are beating the street and they have nothing to do with it. AI, that is. We will tackle those trades next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Obviously, a lot of talk about tech and AI stocks are getting all the attention. But there are a lot of other stocks in the universe of our committee members that have been crushing it. And we want to go through some of those just to remind you that there are things outside of AI that can do well, like Jenny's SL Green. This is from November 1st, okay? S&P 500 is up 22% since November 1st. We'll put that the line in the sand of when this latest leg of this record-setting rally started, like SL Green which is up 59%, like Lamar Advertising, which is up 35%, like Marriott, which is up 32%, Jenny. And these are only a handful that yeah, are well in access. No, you had a list of 10. Um, We're like, all right, we can't do 10. And so, no, I... Oh, we had a list of more than it that. It was so hard to I choose. You, but we um, helped you choose. But what's interesting we about them, I tried, to think, I tried to think of, like, what's similar? And what's similar on all of these is that expectations were just really out of line with what the company was actually delivering. So none of them are up so much because they had that NVIDIA moment. They didn't suddenly, they didn't suddenly go from, like, a company that didn't make money to explosive earnings. But they were all companies that just delivered. Right. Lamar advertising, you all know it. It's the huge billboards everywhere. And a lot of them are digital. And why is it up so much? Just because they delivered on earnings. They just gave what they said they would give. Same with Marriott. What's interesting on Marriott is you see international hotel rooms are actually booming. International RevPAR was up 17 percent last quarter. And SL Green, it's prime class A real estate in New York City. And as everybody freaked out, like, oh, commercial real estate's dead. Well, actually, you cherry pick this one out because not all commercial real estate is created equal. So all of them just delivered and had really great returns because of it. Okay, Kevin, Merck up 26%, Depot up 31%, Cat, we mentioned Cat up 43 
I just think this is an incredible segment because we're not talking about NVIDIA, stock that Jenny and I typically aren't looking at. And, and it's, it's important to look at Home Depot, even though their earnings were a little bit disappointing in terms of the projection for this year. It's about total return, cash flow. Over the past 10 years, they bought back almost half their float. You're getting a 4% dividend with a nice dividend jump each and every year. Caterpillar and Merck are trading at 15 multiples, so you're not stretched or extended. These are also companies that care mostly about returning cash to shareholders. So when we think about the AI world that we're living in, the other thing to remember is that these can all be beneficiaries of AI. If Jensen Wong was right in his post-game presser, in the, in the sales call, yeah. the earnings call, he talked about it extending into all these other industries. And I think that's what we have to be excited about. Increased productivity will increase earnings and increase dividend growth. Joe. Train Technologies up 48%, Intuitive Surgical up 48%, Costco up 34 It's a record intraday high. Train also a record intraday high. Yeah, and, and I think this, this is the reason why I'm so passionate about our, our conversation. Um, if, if you're actually managing money and, and everyone sitting here on the desk is managing money and everyone in the halftime universe is, is managing money, the one thing you never want to do is, is you never want to concede to the market initially that, that you have to adopt to a particular strategy or you're going to lose. And the three names that you're citing are a classic example of you mine for the opportunities, you accept the risk, you reshape the risk, you understand the risk, and you have the strong belief in managing the money that, yes, you can, with your strategy, overcome some of the concentrated performance that we obviously see in the names like Meta and NVIDIA. Weiss, Transdime, 45%, Goldman 30 I mean, Uber. You know, 80, it's a, a yep. big outlier winner. Yeah, look, I mean, if you take a look at those, they each have the story. Goldman is the premier investment bank, in my view, and they will even ratchet up that performance as the IPO window opens. Transdime is just a permanent compounder. It's a private collection of, uh, you know, it's a public-private equity firm. It's a way to look at, and it's an aerospace and defense. There's not a plane out there that doesn't have one of their parts on it. So tremendous strategy. And Uber, you know, Uber's just delivered. That's a credit to the CEO. So I've got all three in the portfolio. I don't see them going anywhere. Okay. Straight ahead, David versus Goliath. One Texas University's small endowment outperforming all of the Ivy Leagues. Up next, we're going back to trade school to speak with the heads of Baylor University's endowment fund. We're going to find out what's driving that success. Halftime's back in just two minutes. All right, welcome back to halftime. It was billed as one of college basketball's great upsets, the Baylor men's basketball team crushing previously unbeaten Gonzaga to win the 2021 National Championship. Well, now another collegiate competition has that school near the very top of another highly prized battle, the best-performing college endowment in the country. Over the past five years, Baylor's tiny, by comparison, $2 billion fund has regularly beaten another Goliath, the illustrious Ivy Leagues. Well, two of the endowment's managers are with us today. Dave Moorhead, CIO. Renee Hanna, Managing Director, handles the private investments. Welcome. It's great to have you guys on Halftime. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yeah, so I guess my first question, so what? You beat all the Ivy League schools the past three years. You've beaten all the Ivies except for Brown over the past five. So the, I think the obvious question first, Dave, to you is, how'd you do it? Well, first of all, I mean, we should say that this is, this is a little bit of a fun uh, competition that we have amongst uh, all of the schools. Obviously, every school has uh, different risk preferences, uh, tolerances, uh, different needs. Um, I would say 
one of the things that we really try to take care of is our liquidity. It's it's obviously been a topic of uh, a, a fair bit of concern over the last 18, 20 months or so. Um, but our view is if we think about what our liquidity uh, is or what our needs are in advance, then we have the opportunity to take advantage of market dislocations or opportunities as they arise. So I would say really, I, I think the, the bit that we try to get right is the cash flow and the liquidity needs that our portfolio has. So Dave, it's you, Renee, and, and three other ladies. Is, is, that, is that correct? So it's five total people That's running the endowment? That's correct. We have two others that help with legal ops strategy, but yes, on the investment team, it's the five of us. So, and what, what would you say is your is your main strategy? Now, you're you're not actually picking the stocks, are you? You're looking at broader themes and then and then bringing the ideas to managers. How's that work? Correct. So, most endowments actually outsource the actual trading, uh, the actual portfolio management. Um, if you think about it from uh, from a kind of intellectual perspective, uh, it'd be really hard for somebody to have all the smartest people, all the best ideas in one room. And so whether it's Yale or us or the schools up or down the street, um, almost all endowments outsource uh, most of the investment activity. How it works from an overall perspective and the opportunities that we do take, it's really driven by the managers and then if we on the edges are seeing something that, you know, there's a dislocation, we could allocate more money into high yield, we could allocate more money into EM, uh, something like that. Um, but that's really what we're doing. We're really allocators. So, Renee, what I find really interesting, too, is private investments make up half of, of the endowment. What kinds of themes are, are you looking at in, in that arena? Yeah, Scott, we don't try to invest in all things, so we run a really focused portfolio um, and are leaning into sectors where we see long-term growth. So the sectors that we like today, we're leaning into technology, we're leaning into healthcare, we're leaning into consumer. That makes up roughly 80% of the portfolio. The balance is going to be more opportunistic. Um, an example of this is when we leaned into private oil and gas. Uh, investments uh, in 2020 via secondary trade when WTI was roughly $30 and uh, the asset class was incredibly out of favor. You also aim to cash out before the these companies actually IPO. Tell me about that. Sure. So, you know, we like to stay involved in, in companies when their uh, revenue is zero to 50 million. And we do this so that there's you know multiple paths to liquidity. If you look at the private equity industry, roughly two-thirds of capital raise is going to be in funds that are, you know, $3 billion or greater. So we try to sell into that. Um, our portfolio is comprised of companies that can sell to strategics or um, larger financial sponsors, and that, you know, multiple passive liquidity gives us an opportunity to get the capital uh, back into the hands of the marketable side so Dave can be tactical uh, when an opportunity presents itself. Jenny Harrington, who's on the desk, uh, has a question for you guys. I'm going to turn it over to her, and then we'll turn it to Steve Weiss. Jenny? Hi, guys. Congratulations on the amazing performance, and love the, love the heavy women dominance of your, um, of your, <laughs> of your group. So Thanks, one of the things that really strikes me in listening to you and looking at it is that you said there's five people who run it, and it's only mm -hmm. $2 billion. And when I think about Harvard and Yale with their $50 billion endowments, I wonder how much size, allow, size of both the committee as well as the endowment allows 
you to be more nimble, to move more, more fastly between different areas. So I'd love you to speak to that if you can. Yeah, Dave, do you want to hit that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think I think some of it has to do with my background. My background uh, prior 20 years was on the for-profit investment side, so I'm I'm comfortable in this role. Um, I'm comfortable wearing the risk. Uh, to give you some perspective, I we've kind of looked back, and and there's usually like one theme a year uh, that's kind of helped or driven performance, particularly on the marketable side. In 2016, it was high yield energy. In 2017, 2018, you guys will remember, VIX was at all time lows. So we were actually buying a long vol. Um, 2019, we were having trouble finding things to do. And so we actually built cash. 2020, post the pandemic, it was a reopening trade. Uh, 2021, we, you know, that, again, we were, we were finding difficult things we are having difficulty finding things to do, so we went back to long vol again. Last mm. uh, last year, we were really building a small cap position, so that hasn't particularly played out yet, but the benefit that we have is we own our own capital, so we don't have to hold ourselves to account You know, every two weeks, every two months. We tend to look out maybe three years-ish in terms of what we're trying to achieve in terms of returns versus the dislocation that we're seeing today. Interesting. Steve Weiss? Yeah, a question on the private side. So uh, are you expressing your views in private through direct investing to companies, co-investments, or going with managers? And if managers, are you tending to pick the medium-sized managers because they can generally generate better alpha? Uh, so everything we do is going to be through managers on the private side, and we are selecting managers that are smaller and can take advantage of the capital that sits above them. So typically when we onboard a GP into our portfolio, it's going to be somebody who's sub a billion dollars and preferably sub 500 million. Hey, Dave, you, you look at these stocks that are just like NVIDIA and all the mega caps. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. curious, uh, you know, the, the size, the kind of exposure you have to those. Uh, you call the managers, say, like, do, do we have enough NVIDIA? I mean, you, you know, you see the stock uh, going up just the way it has. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, we actually don't have very much exposure. Um, like I said, um, endowments in general are, like, very diverse, like way more diverse than the S&P 500. Um, we own everything under the sun, um, both in the public markets and in the private markets. Um, so what we're doing is, is really at the edges. Like I said, we've focused over the last year on sort of the historical um, spread between large caps and small caps. Since we tend to be value conscious, uh, we've allocated more to small caps. We don't have that much exposure to the, uh, to the Magnificent Seven, really. Mm, interesting. Well, continued success. Wish you both uh, great luck moving forward. It's exciting for your school, and it's great for us to have you as well. We'll see you soon, I hope. Yep, thank you very thank you. much. All right, guys, you be well. It's David Moorhead and Renee Hanna from Baylor University. All right, up next, trades on a few key committee names reporting earnings next week. We'll set you up ahead of that. All right, welcome back. Going to be another busy week ahead for earnings. So let's get some of the key names. Monday is One Oak. Right. Right. Okay, I was so nervous about NVIDIA. This is the opposite. This is the company that's reporting that you have nothing to worry about. It'll be the first quarter where we start to see it post the Magellan merger. You'll see deleveraging, you'll see cash flow, you'll see a clean balance sheet. It should be exactly what we hope, and it's got a 5.5% yield on it. Joe, Zoom? 
is also Monday, which you own in the ETF. Recent purchase, again, not every uh, every stock that you, you own you're going to really have deep affection for. We're learning to like this one. The free cash flow number has to come in stronger than 210 million. This is a free cash flow generation story because earnings are going to be down probably five to six percent. And the revenue growth really isn't there. It's modest, you know, single digits, low single digits. All right. So it's a big AI moment next week, too, I, I guess. Software, uh, Salesforce. Yes, absolutely. Salesforce is That's the big Wednesday one. after the bell. It, it is. And and I think there's, there's a couple of things that are very critical. I think this is probably one of the most important earnings reports next week. And it's really, okay, what is IT spending currently and what are they believing that IT spending is going to look like as we move forward, in particular in the wake of what we heard from Palo Alto Networks. The story and the reasoning behind the recovery for Salesforce has been lifting of margins. They've lifted the margins from below 20% up to nearly 30%. So they've got to maintain the strength of margin. They have to continue executing on cost efficiency, and they have to give investors some degree of confidence that the demand is still there for IT spending. All right. We will do final trades on the other side of this quick break. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern on Closing Bell. I hope to join me. Cameron Dawson is with me today along with Jordan Jackson. Tom Lee is going to join us too. give his outlook for the market. He's been all over the fang trade. As you know, the mega caps, Doug Clinton talking tech too. Let's do final trades. Kevin Simpson, what do you got? I've got Walmart. They had great earnings. Online sales were up 20%. They increased their dividend by 9.3%. And finally, most importantly, they're going to have a three-for-one stock split on Monday. Okay, thank you. Jenny Harrington. Starbolt, good things are happening there. They reported earnings on the 13th. They beat earnings. They raised the dividend more than expected, and they're closing their merger with Eagle in the end of April. Steve Weiss. Lidos, it's one of those under-the-radar companies. doesn't get a lot of uh, attention. It's cheap. Management came in close to a year ago. Just a great, steady story. Joe T. Intuit reported earnings earlier this morning. It's a name that's been in the strategy since April of 2023. I was listening to Kramer this morning. He said it shouldn't be down. Jim was spot on. Look where it is right now, uh, approaching a new all-time high. All right, we will see if the NASDAQ can get that all-time closing high when I see it 3 o'clock. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.